Hi, this is Quinn Wynn and Jesse Chu, co-founders of Paper Talk. Welcome to season five. We're here to share our paper flower journey, engage with makers and artists, and support other female entrepreneurs. Follow along as we give a voice to and nurture a community of paper florists from around the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Paper Talk. Today, we have Ashley Regan of I Bleed Heart, and she's out of Oklahoma. We first, well, actually, I first got in contact with her because she volunteered to be part of the Greenwood Rising Memorial Project that Quinn and I were approached by Amy of of Botanica Bruhaha back in March March. of, oh my God, last year, 2021. (laughs) And Ashley was one of the ones who stepped up like immediately and said that she wanted to get involved in this project with us. But I mean, I think it's also her story to tell too. So mm-hmm. Ashley, welcome. First of all, welcome to our podcast. Welcome, We're Ashley. So Thank you. To have you. <laughs> Thank a you. Little Oklahoman. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, talk a little bit about your involvement in Tulsa. Yeah. It's just, if you guys don't know, so Ashley just recently helped us install, disinstall, take apart the art installation that everyone worked so hard on. And she took on that responsibility and did amazing things with it. But Ashley, I'm going to give you the mic. Tell us a little bit about your involvement and why it was so important to you that you were involved. Okay. Well, first of all, I had no idea what it was going to be. Gwen just (laughs) messaged me and was like, hey, I might need your help for something in Tulsa. Would you be up for it? I was like, yes, I don't know what it is, but sign me up. (laughs) And then um, a little bit later, she told me what it was about and like, it literally brought tears to my eyes thinking about honoring these people in that way. So it was a huge honor to be a part of. And then meeting Stephen and Faith and all the others was so much fun. Also, there's not too many paper florists that I know of. Mm-hmm. So being around others who paper flowers was really cool and then getting to see all of the white lilies and the ways that people from all over the world had created them differently or used different mediums was really cool and then I had never done any kind of installation before so seeing the behind the scenes on how it could be put together was really cool to learn that too and then having the responsibility of taking it down and figuring out a way to still use the flowers and honor the people was an honor too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I had had discussions with Quinn about what are we going to do with the flowers? And we ultimately decided to try and make them into ornaments. And so I, salvaged as many of them as I could and just bent the wires to make a little hook so you could hook the flowers onto a tree and then we had to decide okay what are we going to actually do with these where are we going to send them to and coming out of the pandemic and knowing how isolated people were especially at nursing homes where nobody could go visit it made sense to reach out to some of them in the local area to gift the flowers to. And the first one that I thought of was the nursing home where my granddad 
have lived for several years before he passed away. So they were one of the first ones that I reached out to. And every single one that I called sounded shocked that we would offer them and so honored that um, we would gift them to them. So I wanted to also make sure that each location knew the the origin of where these paper flowers came from, who made them, because I didn't want to take all the credit for it. You know, all of these artists from all over the world had spent their time and energy making these flowers. And I just thought it was really important to let them know this is who made your flowers and this is where they came from. But now we're gifting them to you and I want to make sure that you're not forgotten. So thank you so much for doing this. It's a lot of people heart. And I know the makers feel so honored that you were able to take this. It didn't go in the trash. It went to someone else that probably because they didn't have a lot of human contact because again, the nursing homes were definitely like you couldn't go visit on a regular basis anymore. And to know that people are still thinking of them and to have a beauty in their life. Gosh, that was incredible what you did. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. So (laughs) yeah, it was so thoughtful. I mean, when I heard about what you intended to do with them, it's just amazing, actually, what the lilies have come to represent initially yeah. was to represent everyone who was were killed in during the massacre and then also honoring their memory. And then now, you know, you've, you've taken the step to honor people who kind of have been forgotten, <laughs> let's be honest, yeah. during COVID and the lockdown. And so double, triple, I don't know how many, you know, duties. I think it's amazing the layers of, of symbolism that goes into these lilies now and having actual impact on their lives too. So yeah, I know. Thank you so much for taking it on, like the responsibility of taking it on and disassembling it and making sure that all the lilies are taken care of and taking the steps to make the ornaments. I mean, that took a lot of time. I saw your process Ooh. video. It was, thank yeah. you for taking that for us. Yes. I mean, just I had like, so yes. much fun making that video. Yeah. <laughs> just so we can see every it. little step. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, make sure you jump into the Facebook group, Paper Talk Community, and look for Ashley, look for that post. You'll see the documentations. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And you Definitely. can see how to make your own ornaments too. But then at the end, like the, the photos that you showed with you standing next to the, I guess they were nursing home residents or nurses, like the smiles on their faces. And it's just that human touch. I just thought, you know, everything's, everything you did was worth it. Like it was just, yeah. you made such an impact and the lilies, the lilies made such an impact on their residents' lives. And yeah, I mean, sometimes you think about like, why do we do this? It must be for something greater than ourselves. You know, why do we make mm-hmm. paper flowers? If anything, like w- one little act can can create such such a impact on someone else's life. And I think that's, I don't know about you, but it's really, isn't that powerful? Like knowing so that- powerful. Yeah. yeah. Flowers <laughs> you make can do that. Not just like your client, but- bigger social issues I think that's that's really really cool 
So yeah, yeah thank you so much, Ashley, for you're welcome for doing that. How did you fall into paper flowers, Ashley? Oh man, do you want me to start from the very beginning or start <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because I have a long story I could tell. <laughs> well, you know what? Go back to the very beginning because we often yeah. find that your know, paper flower journey when it's like it's not just when you found paper flower. Your journey started way before that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so start from the beginning. <laughs> so you mentioned that I I do a lot of different things. I have a lot of different mediums. And I feel like that's important because I get bored a lot (laughs) and (laughs) I need variety to keep it interesting. But I created since the beginning, when I was younger, I would make dresses for my Barbie dolls or make jewelry out of (laughs) my mom still has a couple things that I made and I'm like why are you wearing that that's so embarrassing you better not (laughs) tell them that I made it or if you do tell them that I was like 10 (laughs) Um, but so um so I homeschooled most of my life until my junior year when my dad left our family And we were forced to move into town and I got into public school for the first time. And I was air quotes, randomly placed into an art class to fill my schedule. And like, I didn't think anything of it, but during that class, I found it to be really healing because like I was daddy's little girl and I was hurt. I was hurting so badly and I didn't know how to express it. Like I didn't talk much when I was little or younger. Um, so I would be in the art class, you know, drawing or painting, getting lost in whatever I was creating and being able to think through what had just occurred and trying to make sense of it and then at the end of the class period I would look down and I had made something beautiful and the next year I had a really close friend pass away and again the art class became something a way to heal and my art teacher saw my work and acknowledged the talent that she saw and encouraged me to go to college um for an art degree which I did I mean if it hadn't been for her I wouldn't have gone to college because I wasn't interested in anything else (laughs) Um, and and I hadn't acknowledged that I had any artistic talent um Mm -hmm. I just when people say that they can't even draw a stick figure, it just doesn't compute in my mind. So yeah, I went to college and I got my art degree in 2010. And after that, I worked a desk job that I didn't enjoy, but it um, allowed me to pay off my student loans. And one day I was working and was so bored because nobody was coming into the office and I was a receptionist. (laughs) And so I was on Craigslist of all places looking for something artistic to do. And I saw a call for artists from Tom's, which I thought was super odd because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that big corporations posted on Craigslist. Um, an untapped resource. You guys. <laughs> yeah. Tom shoes. If you don't know what that yeah, is. Tom shoes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's punch juice. So it was a call for artists for a style your souls event where artists would come and paint on the shoes for customers for free during this one day event. And I was like, okay, I'll submit some of my henna designs that I had done in college. And they contacted me and they were like, we really want you to come be one of our 12 <laughs> artists for the day. I was like, okay, this is so weird. <laughs> um, but I did that. And there was a line of people out the door at this store in the mall the entire time of the event. And so that made me realize there was a need for that kind of art. So one of my coworkers asked me, hey, can you paint these shoes for me? I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> so I ended up taking photos of those shoes and putting them on. And then they just started selling and people started uh, requesting custom designs. And it grew from four designs to like over 20 designs. Wow. Um, and there were some things that I wouldn't do because of copyrights or they were somebody else's design. So all of my designs were original to me. So I did that from 2012 until 2018. A few years after I started that, I was able to grow my business to where I could quit my day job. (laughs) What a moment. Yeah. (laughs) Edit that out, please, Quinn. (laughs) Yeah, so... A few years after that, I was able to grow my business to where I could quit my day job. And the intention was I was going to move back in with my mom and then move somewhere else. I didn't have a plan. (laughs) But a few months after that, my granddad actually had a stroke that left him paralyzed on the left side. And he was living alone by himself at the time. And All my siblings and my cousins all had families of their own and regular jobs. And here I was working from home doing art. And I felt God telling me, you need to do this. You need to take care of him. Um, Because at the time it was, it was so sudden, of course, but um, it was hard to find what to do, like where to, what, should we move into a nursing home? What's going to happen, you know? So, but he was still in rehab at the time and his therapists were kind enough to let me come up there and train with them. I had no medical experience at all. I had no idea what to do but they allowed me to train and learn how to care for him, how to move him correctly, exercises to do whatever. So I ended up moving in with and still doing my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And he always told me that the favorite part was watching me wrap them to mail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was with him at his house for nine months, and then it got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. My strength wasn't what it needed to be, and his brain wasn't telling him, okay, she's instructing me to do this. This is what I need to do. So it kind of became dangerous, so we did end up moving him to the nurse. And then I started making the earrings, 
And after he passed away is when I found paper flowers. Um, I had seen a small kit at, I think it was Michael's, some Leah Griffith. Is it Griffith or Griffin? Griffith. Okay. I had seen a pack of her papers at Michael's and decided to get it on a whim and followed the instructions in it and was like, this is really fun. Maybe I should try it some more. (laughs) Um, But Paper Flowers became a way to honor my granddad because he was an avid gardener. He loved gardening. He would always tell me what flowers we were passing at a garden or (laughs) wherever we were. So one of my first paper flowers that I created from my own template was a uh, marigold because he always grew marigolds in his garden. So I found some real marigolds and dissected it and figured out the pattern of the the petals and the middle of it yeah. <laughs> and the coloring. So that's one of the first flowers that I made on my own, not looking at somebody else's template. So yeah, that's where paper flowers came in. So it's amazing. So when did the Hobbit doors come in? After my granddad passed away, I actually got to go to New Zealand. My best friend had moved there after college and found her husband there. Convenient. So she had moved over there and I had always planned on going over there at some point. So I'd been saving up for it. And she took us to Hobbiton and Mount Doom and Rivendell <laughs> and all these things. <laughs> uh, so bad, so, so bad. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't start the Hobbit door shelf sitters until recently because I really want to build a human-sized Hobbit house to it's live so in cool. and then have another one to like rent out as an Airbnb. Oh my so, that'd be amazing. So any of the profits from my Hobbit doors that I get goes into a special account to oh one day. So awesome. one. I know. <laughs> we all need to support her. Outfunding. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, if you guys want to come stay sometime, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Would love to. Yes. My husband and I, one day we'll go to New Zealand just to do like the Lords of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a tour that's not well known. It's called the Hairy Feet Tour. <laughs> and it's, it's at this small sheep farm where some of the scenes from the beginning of The Hobbit and an expected journey is filmed. (laughs) And she like took us around on a golf cart showing us all these (laughs) things. And then that scene where, uh, where Bilbo pulls out Ding for the first time, that cave, not really a cave. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) That's where that was filmed. And then at one point, she like takes some moss from the ground and puts it on your feet. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so fun. That's so cute. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Memorable. Yeah. I feel like your why has been such an emotional tie to how you evolve as an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as you, I mean, you're doing a lot more like shows. How has that 
tying in with bringing more income to grow as an artist? And do you see yourself evolving even more besides and adding more amazing art like this? Keeps me on my toes. (laughs) I'm an introvert and I don't like being around people for too long. (laughs) So like when I first started doing shows, I would not talk to people. (laughs) In fact, my first show that I did was a little one in Norman, Oklahoma at this church. I had never heard of this show before, but I did it and it was like a two day show, I think. And I didn't really talk to anybody, including the vendors. So I really didn't do very well at that show. (laughs) The first day, I I guess I thought that it ended at a certain time and it really went on for like an hour or two later, but I like packed up and left. (laughs) I come back the next day and my vendor friends are like, "Uh, are you okay? Did something happen yesterday? (laughs) But yeah, just getting out there and doing shows more consistently helped me get out of my shell. And I do mm. talk to people now. <laughs> and I have conversations on a podcast. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> um, but it also makes me feel like this may not be true, but it makes me feel like I need to constantly be coming up with new things because I do have a lot of repeat customers come to my shows which is fantastic mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful for them but I don't want to have the same thing every single time <laughs> so like I have little vases I make succulents and pots that people those really so like pretty yeah. which I love those because I didn't get the green thumb from my granddad and I've been known to kill succulents. I have some <laughs> of that are currently dead. <laughs> so making them from paper made sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you do have to be careful with the shows that you choose. And sometimes you can't know if it's a good show until you do it. But also connecting with other makers and having conversations with them and hey is the show good have you heard of it how is the coordinator because the coordinator is a huge part of the success of the show the show that I love the most is in December and it's a three-day show and it's at this old ranch with this giant barn that the owner converted into like have a wood floor so you could have lots of different types of events there but she hosts that every year and she's so good at marketing and getting the word out. And she does like radio spots about the show. So anytime she has a show there, I try and sign up others. You just have to risk it if you've never heard of it or never done it before. And you'll learn. I have a list of shows that I will never do again and (laughs) a, a list of shows that I definitely want to do again. At the beginning of this year, I went through last year's calendar because I always write down shows in my calendar with the day, time, how much I paid for it, and my goal. And then after the show's over, I'll write down how much I actually made. So I'll go through and contact those coordinators again and say, hey, are you doing this show again? If so, I really want to do it. (laughs) That's Um, such a smart tip. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that. 
Mm -hmm. And then recently I decided to go through Facebook and find specific groups for Oklahoma vendor groups where people post events that they're hosting and call for vendors. So, Mm -hmm. and then you can, sometimes if, if it's a show that they've had multiple years, you can go back to the event page for it and see how well it was attended, how they marketed it, how much they shared. Did they share anything about individual vendors that are going to be there or just, hey, the show's happening. Hey, the show's happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's not helpful. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically how I find shows. If you love our podcast, please consider supporting us by hitting subscribe and writing us a review. And if you want to do a little more, consider making a donation on our website at www.papertalkpodcast.com. Every dollar of your gift goes into the making of this podcast. Do shows and you have all this amazing experience. I think there's a lot of people that have not done shows or thinking about doing shows. And the question they always ask is, how much do you prepare? And what do you Mm -hmm. prepare? How do you know to start that process? Do you have any tips? I over-prepare every single time. (laughs) I have a closet full of earrings. Quinn, you've seen my suitcase full of earrings. They're gorgeous, (laughs) you guys. So beautifully made. So even if I don't have a show coming up, I'm always making something because I know Christmas is coming. And if you don't prepare now, even in January, you're going to be sorry (laughs) by the time November comes around. And last year I was really bad at preparing. (laughs) It was so stressful. (laughs) But now I also have inventory at two local um, shops. One of them is like a farmer's market, but it's inside and it's really cool. But you pay for your shelf space each month. And then they also take a percentage off of your sales that you make. So I have to also have inventory for that and come up with new things for that every month too. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great. That means you have a turnover. And that's bringing in income and also marketing because people are walking and seeing it and buying it. That's really brilliant marketing strategy to do your shows and to have like a stable place where people can come and view it, especially when people miss your show. It's like, oh, where can I buy it? Like, well, I have it in two shops. Go check it out. Let me know what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I found that I really need some other source of income because you can't rely just on your internet sales or shows, for example, because we just came from the pandemic and lots of shows were canceled. So you really need to have different sources of income. And I'm really trying to grow my offerings and where you Mm -hmm. can find them. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't make much from the show from the shops yet, but it is more than I would have made had I not been in these stores. So I'm grateful for any income at this point. It <laughs> <laughs> makes total sense. I guess how do you know? And we talked about this just before we started recording, but how do you know what people want? Because part of it is yes, you know, what do you love creating? But sometimes 
maybe some, maybe it's so niche that there's not enough people to buy it because like you said, you need, you need income. I mean, that's a reality. So how do you know what sells or what will sell and how do you kind of navigate that and kind of negotiate that with yourself? Because sometimes you might be like, I really want to make this flower in this color, but nobody wants to buy it. Like, how do you negotiate with your creativity while managing the realities of what the market or your followers or your buyers want? To be completely honest, my flowers don't usually do well at shows. And I haven't figured out why other than maybe they think my prices are too expensive throughout my artistic career doing shows. I always, at almost every single show I do hear, wow, this is gorgeous, but it's so expensive, which is a very (laughs) kind thing to say. (laughs) But for shows specifically, I've found that it has to do with where you're selling because there's a show in Oklahoma City at the Will Rogers Garden and it's a garden festival and people are there for the plants and when they see the flowers they come over I've had little kids come over and try and smell the flowers which is a huge compliment (laughs) and then their parents see oh they're crepe paper and then that starts a conversation of how pretty they think they are or whatever (laughs) and then how do you do this and so I get to explain a little bit of the process and I I think that being able to show them a little bit of the process is very helpful because it allows them to appreciate the work more and Mm -hmm. see how much work goes into it (laughs) my butterfly earrings I actually have a sign that it's like those metamorphosis scientific things that you see sometimes where you see the different stages. So I have the metamorphosis of the butterfly earring. So I I have raw threads and then I have it tied and then dyed and then painted, which is the final product. So that starts conversations. Wow. You go from this to this really? (laughs) Um, so I think it's just finding creative ways of showing the process. Mm-hmm. I need to remember to take some like scraps of paper with me because I have a lot of people ask, how do you make this? Like, what do you use? And I'll explain oh, it comes in these long rolls and long sheets of paper and it has the stretch to it and has durability. <laughs> but if they could actually see the flat piece of paper and then me show how you cup it I think that would really help bring some value to it as well so Mm -hmm. excuse me while I I write that down on my list (laughs) 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 looking at people process like even if I'm looking at like a, a cake decorator watching them like do their flowers I get inspired by it. I'm like, oh, that's so amazing. I've never thought to do it that way. And I think people get really interested in seeing like, oh my gosh, you can turn this flat two-dimensional piece of paper to a three-dimension. It's really magical. And I, I, and the joy that when you talk about this is really fun to see. Yeah. (laughs) 
so interesting because you mentioned that was a garden. Well, I guess the show mm-hmm. is in a garden and the idea was garden or plant lovers go there and buy plants. And so suddenly seeing paper flowers, I mean, initially I'd be like, oh, that's a perfect fit. Like flower lovers, garden lovers. But then I guess like you also realized it's like, it's kind of like if you go to, oh, I wanted to say like a flower market and then you see paper flowers, would people really buy the paper flowers? Because they're, there's also fresh flowers or so but mine don't die. Mine yes, don't no, die. that's true. Um, that's true. Unless you water Absolutely. them, which is what I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> and then it makes you laugh. So. <laughs> yeah, I no, I'm I'm just I think it's really interesting. Like the idea of what you think might work and it may work. I don't know how successful that show was for you, but also it's like people's initial ideas going into the market and then seeing your flowers and then the preconceptions of what that is compared to let's say a plant or compared to cut flowers or their preconceived notion of you know how much that should cost and the labor involved it's a little bit different just because somebody knows how to plant a tulip they might not have to be honest they might not have the same appreciation of the art and effort and love that you put into making a flower even though the subject matter is the same so Anyways, just me thinking out loud, like, <laughs> like whether or not it works at certain shows. Cause you, and like you said, like you've got a list where you've tried and you're like, nope, those did not work. And you might've had high hopes for them. Right. But you kind of <laughs> yeah. don't know until you're, you're there that you're like, oh, whether or not it's successful for you. Yeah. I would yeah. say Steven of Indiana Paper Company, he does his painting at the peony show and it sells so fast. I think picking the right market and picking your audience is such a key on mm-hmm. how well your paper flowers will do. Mm-hmm. Ashley, have you thought about teaching? Because I feel like you're you're a natural teacher. Like you're intimate. You have such a fun personality that I just want to like get to know you better. And I feel like you couldn't say anything negative. You would always say, like, <laughs> oh, you need to do it this way instead. <laughs> I actually get asked that a lot. And even when I was taking the lilies around to the nursing homes I had a couple of the I guess they were the coordinators of the nursing home whatever you call them the managers (laughs) Um, a couple of them were like oh would you come teach our resident I'm like "Hmm." (laughs) that terrifies me Um, like start out with a small number like three people three to five people and say that's your limit that way you can have an intimate conversation. I think having small group gatherings as being an introvert is so much more fun for an introverted artist than teaching a 20-person class because that takes a lot more energy and being able to juggle everybody's skills and needs, is, it's a different conversation. But mm-hmm. I think doing a three to five people to start off with and then seeing like, do you love it? And then Maybe I can add another person. <laughs> and before you know, you'll be teaching a person class for money for that hour. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I went on a maker's retreat a couple of years ago and all of the ladies that were artists, makers, whatever. And each day we had like two activities to do and the participants were the ones teaching what they do to the ladies. And I signed up to teach them how to make <laughs> earrings, and it was terrible. <laughs> I was so nervous. 
so that made me bad at explaining what to do and the ladies were so stressed out by the end of it it was awful so now I'm like anytime somebody asks me if I would teach I'm like no (laughs) it's really important like you tried it already oh yeah like not my cup of tea exactly yeah it's not everyone's cup of tea totally fine for whatever reason whether it's because you know it's the people or you just get nervous or yeah it's it's totally you should see ashley's face guys she's like cringing as as quinn's like she's like (laughs) okay well to be honest if you had asked me five years ago to be on the podcast i would have it would have been terrible. I would have not done it. <laughs> so maybe at some point I might be bold enough to teach a class again. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I mean, we're talking about our whys. So it's yes. okay if that's not, honestly, it's okay if it's not part of your why. Because Quinn and I have been honest about it too. Like teaching people ask, okay, I'll teach. It's good money. It's a great return. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. how much compared to like making paper flowers and selling them and it's different, but yeah, it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's not my why <laughs> it's not, I put it up there. It's not my why, but I don't mind it. It's kind of like, I, I don't mind it. So yeah, I can do it. Why not kind of thing, but it's, is it going to be what I'm going to only do? No, like no way. Although Ashley, have you considered doing like something like recorded so online, so where you don't have to interact with anyone at all. You're just talking to yourself, recording yourself how to do something and then selling it because that is a really good return as well. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to it. deal with anxiety. You don't have to deal with Oh, people. no, I still people. get anxious, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you can repeat yourself over and over again and not have to worry about anyone like judging. Because like sometimes like when you're anxious and nervous is because like people are looking at you and you're like, what are they going to think? And you get all self-conscious. But then when you're like, it's kind of like doing lives or doing reels, reels, I guess reels is a good one where like the first time you're like, oh my God, this is crap. And you're so <laughs> nervous and you got to shoot things over and over again. But after a while, it's like, you just talk to yourself. You just yeah. literally talk to yourself and you're just like, da, 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 and then that's it. And you sell it and people buy it and you don't have to interact with anyone. <laughs> it really is like that. I've actually thought of doing something with my blue bonnets for a tutorial online. Because I know there's a, a couple of tutorials out there for blue bonnets, but I feel like I do them a little bit differently. Exactly. They're not, don't think about yeah. that. There's so many rose tutorials. Everyone will still buy rose tutorial if you, if anybody like sells one. They, because yeah. there's so many ways to do it and it's not yours like kind of like what you said like nobody does it your way people will buy it mm-hmm. yeah even even when I'm trying to learn a new flower if, if I can find a tutorial that somebody's done I'll watch it I won't make it while I watch it but I'll take knowledge from that video mm-hmm. and make it my own because I don't want to do something exactly like somebody else and I may not like how they do it. So I'll try and make it my own. But I feel like you can learn techniques from anyone and then make it your own. Like the succulents that I do, I I never looked at a tutorial for that. But the way you twist the paper, I'm sure I saw it on somebody's tutorial somewhere. (laughs) So I was able to take that twist technique and make it look like a succulent. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, also exactly. your coloring. You do beautiful coloring on them. And that I think that's what makes it stand out and be different. Yeah. Yeah. Never underestimate your flowers or your techniques. Because exactly. I think you mentioned it before in our conversation, how like you didn't think it was interesting because you do it all the time. And I think like, that's the thing. We are always like that. We're like, oh, this isn't interesting. Like, you know, it's like second nature. No one's going to be interested, but who like, but it's just someone else. It's completely new. So yeah, I don't know. Just a thought in terms of online, not pushing you, yeah. but just encouraging, a, just encouraging you. It's, a, it's also an income stream yes. <laughs> as well. Yes. And every, like, and I feel like the world needs what you make. So in whatever form it is. And when last two years, we haven't been able to see paper flowers in person. The next best thing is kind of just having access to it online, learning how to make your flowers. I'm sure people would love to know. Kind of having a little bit of your art in their own home. Yes. Without having to actually physically see it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they see the process and they try it themselves, are like, I understand why it's more so expensive now. Yeah, now I have to buy from her. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like when those ladies were trying to learn how to make the earrings, they were like, can you just do it for me? (laughs) Yes. I've seen you make the earrings. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've done videos on them and I'm like, wow, this is really genius. (laughs) (laughs) And there are some things, even especially on the monarch wings, that I won't share online just because Like with the shoes, for instance, I had people ripping off my original designs and selling it as their own. So I try to be careful with what I do share. Mm -hmm. The monarch wings are very close to me and very Mm -hmm. special to me. And And that's absolutely okay. Yeah. No, honestly, I think like you are absolutely entitled to keep whatever you want to yourself. It's one of those where it's like, once you release it, you literally like release it. They like have wings on their own and they do the things and then you kind of can't like pull it back and be like, wait, yeah. wait, you can't do this. But like, you're, I mean, I think as an artist, like you set your own rules. So mm-hmm. if you're like, people ask all the time, but you're like, no, I'm not ready to share this. They have to respect that. And I don't think there's any, I think it's selfish or anything. I think it's just, it's your process. It's like you said, it's part of your soul, right? It's a little bit of, yeah. And that goes back to my business name. Some people are like, I bleed hard. What is that all about? <laughs> but it was actually the name of my senior show in college because art has been such a healing process for me. Mm-hmm. I bleed heart. Art runs through my veins. It keeps me going. And like everything that I do has my heart in it. Like if, if I make, I make, so many things that I don't like and I won't make them again but I put my heart into it and when you get a piece of art from me I want you to know where it came from and then it's not just some piece of art that I'm making to sell and make a buck you know (laughs) so you do need money but it's not why I create. (laughs) I create because it's a healing thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I love that. So talking about making, 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 what do you do to like spoil yourself to create that moment of happiness throughout your day of just eating? Because it takes a lot of energy. (laughs) 
Yes, it does. <laughs> um, I'm really bad at pampering myself or taking care of myself, <laughs> but I always look forward to my coffee and Jesus time in the mornings. <laughs> I always have to have my coffee. And then my cat lays down next to me while I read my Bible. And But my coffee, I have a special way of making it. Yes, <laughs> I'm a coffee snub. Um, <laughs> I, I use a Southern Pecan K-cup with a spoonful of Nutella in the mug while the k-cup is doing its magic (laughs) and then i add french vanilla creamer at the end and it's like a homemade mocha and it's delicious and then at the end when you're done with your coffee you have a little bit of nutella left on your spoon (laughs) that you can enjoy (laughs) that's fantastic it's the most healthy way to start your morning Spiritually healthy, yes. Yeah. Beginning, you burn it off. I love that so much, Ashley. It's such. It's been such an honor to work with you and to talk to you. It's you're such a wonderful human being, and I'm so glad our path crossed. Thank you, Quinn. I love you, (laughs) (laughs) Jesse. It's wonderful to finally sort of meet you yes (laughs) maybe one day it'll be in person (laughs) we would love to thank you our listener and especially our patrons for supporting our podcast paper talk and for making season five possible 